It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, June 23rd, 2023. I'm Benjamin Hall. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gushkovitz remains in a Russian jail. We ask what can be done to bring him and other Americans wrongfully detained back home. We're just not going to tolerate this, holding U.S. citizens hostage under false pretenses. I'm Dave Anthony. He thinks he can go from dark horse in the 2024 race to president of the United States. I understand how the world economy works. This economy is changing, technology is changing, every job, every company, and every industry. There's never been anybody with a software tech background who's ever run for president. I think it's about time. We talked to North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gushkowitz remains a Russian prisoner after losing his appeal against the extension of his detention earlier this week. He will remain in prison ahead of his trial for espionage. The White House has repeatedly condemned the Kremlin for this, calling it repression of the freedom of the press. State Department spokesman Vedant Patel echoed those sentiments in Wednesday's press conference, saying, We we continue to feel that this whole uh, legal process as it relates to Evan uh, is a sham. Uh, We've been very clear that Evan is wrongfully detained. Gershkovitz is being held at the notorious Lefortova prison in Moscow, where he now faces up to 20 years in jail. In his court appearance for the decision, Evan stood in a glass cage, wearing a dark T-shirt and jeans, smiling briefly to the media before they were ordered out of the court. Evan's parents also attended the hearing, as did the U.S. ambassador to Russia, Lynn Tracy, who spoke about Evan's strength. Evan continued to show remarkable strength and resiliency in these very difficult circumstances. But Evan is not the only American who remains a Russian prisoner. Former Marine Paul Whelan is still being held in Russia under espionage charges and has been in a prison camp for the last four years. During that time, basketball player Brittany Griner and another former Marine, Trevor Reed, were released as part of prisoner swaps. But there has been no apparent progress on a swap for Gershkovitz or Whelan, with many asking, what more can the administration do? It's devastating. It's very tragic, and I feel very sad. Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Michael McCall, is hard at work fighting for Evans' freedom. For the family, and especially his mother, um, I can't imagine what she's going through. And, of course, you know, colleagues at Wall Street Journal, to see their colleagues in a glass cage, obviously not being treated very well. Probably has no access to a doctor, you know, for the crime he didn't commit. And it's just outrageous. And this is how Putin operates. And sadly, probably not the end of this. We're going to see more of this taking prisoners for ransom purposes. You know, and uh, how can we possibly get him out? In the Griner case, it was very unbalanced in terms of the trade. I mean, we were supposed to get Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner out. They only released Brittany Griner, who essentially had like a vape pipe in exchange for an arms dealer that we exchanged. Who do you think is partly to blame for that decision. Should the administration have stuck and said, no, it is Paul Whelan that we want to to exchange first? He's been there for four years. He should be a priority. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul Whelan was a Marine. I think it was calculated on Putin's part to uh, release the celebrity basketball star, and we're glad that she's home and then uh, still detain the uh, the Marine uh, symbolically as a slap in the face. I don't think it was a fair trade. And it's tricky, right, because you, you want to get them out, but you don't want to encourage you know further people being imprisoned for no reason and to be held hostage as political pawns. And that's, that's what we're seeing more and more out of Putin and Russia. When Russia takes an American, shouldn't they be afraid? Shouldn't there be real sanctions? And how can we set that? How can we make countries more afraid to take Americans? Well, projecting strength, not weakness, uh, letting them know that there will be very harsh consequences if they do this, and letting them know we're not going to we're going to trade um, you know prisoners if, if that's what has to be done. That the charges should be more equal and not so disparate as we saw in the Brittany Griner trade for the arms dealer, and I would argue led to the imprisonment of, you know, of Evan that we're seeing today. And in Evan's case, this is probably the worst that I've seen because he was simply reporting the news. And of course, that frightens Putin. The truth, you know, in a dictatorship, they fear the truth more than anything, and it gets out to his own people. And he fears his own people. And so that's precisely why I think he detained and now imprisoned uh, Evan. And uh, I'm personally working through a lot of different channels to get him out of there. Um, these are very tricky cases. They're very hard because you're really at the mercy of Putin. And I think because we have rewarded him in the past, he's going to expect that same reward in the future. Other than a prisoner swap, what other methods might be used? What, what other avenues could we take? I mean, sanctions won't work because the Russia is so heavily sanctioned because of the Ukraine invasion. So other than a prisoner swap, what are the other possibilities? Well, we could do secondary sanctions, which we should have done anyway. I mean, the, the sanctions in place are working okay, but not really like secondary sanctions would. And I think we should send a stronger statement to them. This is unacceptable. But you know, I think this administration has projected weakness all along, and it just emboldens Putin and encourages this bad behavior. What would your message be to any Americans living or working in Russia at the moment or any American who is thinking about traveling there? I'd be very careful. You could be the victim of one of these political pawn, you know, imprisonment cases. And uh, to any reporter, certainly in Russia, that uh, what happened to Evan can happen to you that you could be charged with espionage just for reporting the truth about what is happening uh, in Russia and in Ukraine. Um, so they, they're in a very uh, precarious, dangerous situation. I've traveled to Russia, you know, myself, and I was under very heavy surveillance. And if you can be compromised, they're going to try to compromise you. And if they can get something out of you in a prisoner swap, they may likely detain and imprison you. You know, Paul Whelan's been over there for years now. He was supposed to be part of this last deal, and at the last minute, Putin um, broke his promise on that. What, what is your message to Evan right now? If Evan were able to hear you today, what would you say to him? That we're with you, that we're working every channel possible to get you out, and that we're praying for you. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to put, and I and the Congress will continue to put pressure on Putin and Russia, we passed a strong resolution condemning his wrongful detainment of Evan and imprisonment. And um, we're just not going to tolerate this, holding U.S. citizens hostage under false pretenses. 
and that if they do continue this and if they don't free Evan, that in the Congress, even if this administration won't do it, will pursue secondary sanctions on Putin and Russia. As the fight for Evans' release remains a priority on Capitol Hill, another years-long fight for an American's freedom continues. Former Marine Paul Whelan's family has been demanding the release of their loved one for four years, and they have no plans of stopping until Paul is back home. I think that uh, it's hard for people to understand how something like this changes the people who are involved in it, not just the person who is uh, incarcerated, but uh, the family as well. We speak with Paul's brother, David Whalen. I can't even imagine what it's been like for Paul and who he is now, uh, and not being able to talk to him and really understand in detail uh, what his experience has been like, um, the fear that he may have experienced, the uncertainty about his future, uh, the anxiety that he must go through every single day. And so uh, I, I think that that's, uh, that's a challenge that everybody in our family has faced, but I can't even imagine what it's been like for Paul. How much do we know about his current conditions? Where is he being held and, and what is what is life, what is daily life like for him? For the first 18 months, he was held at Lafortova pretrial detention in Moscow, and then he was moved in June of 2020, I guess it was, to uh, IK-17, which is a, a labor camp in Mordovia, which is a, a republic in the Federation. And he's been there for the last three years, almost exactly three years. And uh, he seems to be doing fine. I mean, his he's been taking care of his health, that we've been sending him what we can as far as over-the-counter medicines, uh, food to supplement the food that they get in prison, which isn't very much. He's allowed four packages a year. So the U.S. Embassy and the other embassies have been really good at taking those packages for us uh, because we don't have Russian bank accounts. We don't have the ability to get him resources inside the country. So it's difficult, but he's doing the best he can. I think he's done a remarkable job of surviving day to day. How How often... Your parents able to speak to him? I believe they've had some phone calls with him, but how often is there contact between you, him and the family? Uh, it's usually on a daily basis. It was on a daily basis up until two or three weeks ago. Um, he was able to make 15-minute calls to our parents. Uh, and then uh, there was a uh, RT News uh, crew came out to the prison and Paul refused to speak to them. And ever since then, the uh, prison guards have been disrupting the phone calls, his ability to call the embassy or to call home. And uh, it's that sort of retaliation, that uncertainty that uh, you never really know um, what's going on day to day. Yeah. Um, going back to when Paul was arrested, what, what were the Russian accusations against him? And so, uh, how how wrong are they? I think they couldn't be more wrong. They accused him of uh, espionage. And uh, they said that a USB drive given to him by a friend had some sort of state secret on it. Uh, no one has ever seen it. Uh, the lawyers, uh, I'm not sure, have seen it either. But uh, we certainly don't have any idea what that was. And, and Paul never saw it either because he uh, was given the USB drive and then was immediately arrested by state security services. How do you feel, of course, seeing Brittany Griner, Trevor Reed be swapped when Paul has not yet been released? When you're dealing with Russia, you realize that they are willing to do things that Western countries aren't willing to do, in part because I don't think they care about the individual person. Um, I was thrilled when Brittany Griner came home and I was thrilled when Trevor Reed came home. But because I think if, if you start to focus only on Paul and, you know, why isn't Paul coming home? Uh, I think you start to lose your humanity and become a lot like the Kremlin is. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would obviously love to have my brother home, but I don't begrudge these other Americans uh, their freedom at all. Uh, how has Paul felt? So have you spoken to him specifically about, obviously, you know, Trevor coming back to the U.S. and Brittany coming back to the U.S.? How does that make Paul feel? I think he's just like we are. Uh, he's very disappointed that he has not come home. 
but I think he understands that uh, it's important to get Americans home when you have the opportunity to do so. And so the administration has done a good job of getting Americans home, and we hope that eventually Paul will be one of those Americans that gets to come home. Uh, you said before that you really want to keep pressure on the White House at the moment. You really want to keep this pressure building uh, so that people you know, are constantly thinking about Paul. And how can you do that? What do you need to keep doing? What is the, the message from, from you and the family? Our message is really focused on the White House and we uh, and, and working with people in the State Department or the uh, National Security Council uh, to stay on top of what what are they doing? You know, uh, have they tried something? And, and, and if they have tried, what is the result of it? And to suggest maybe not to wait too long before they try something else. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to is the Kremlin going to take a concession and what concession is the U.S. government willing to make? That's really those are the only uh, actions that can uh, bring Paul home. What would you like all our listeners to know? In what way can they help this cause to keep the voice going? Really, the best thing you can do for any prisoner, whether it's Paul or Evan Gershkovich or any any uh, one who is detained in this sort of situation, is to remind them about their humanity. I think one of the things we heard when Brittany Griner came home was how much she appreciated getting letters and mail from people. Uh, and and Ms. Griner was very gracious at encouraging people to write to Paul. And so I would say the same thing. Go to freepaulwhelan.com and find the address that's on that website. It's, a, it's an American address, it's at the State Department, uh, and send Paul a letter. That's really the best thing you could do. Don't send any packages because he only gets four a year. Um, and we do use that for food and mail, but uh, send Paul a letter or a postcard and just let him know that you remember him and that you're, you're thinking about him. Perfect. Uh, look, I'm so grateful for your time today and um, I hope we get a meet in person one day as well with Paul too. Sounds great, Ben, I appreciate your time, thanks. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. There's another Republican running for president. Will Hurd. There's more that unites us than divides us. A former congressman from a Texas border district and an ex-CIA officer, Will Hurd put out a video Thursday announcing his 2024 campaign. I hunted down terrorists in the Middle East after 9-11. In Congress, I fought to lower taxes, secure our border, and provide more opportunities for the middle class. He's also a Trump Critic. If we nominate a lawless, selfish, failed politician like Donald Trump, who lost the House, the Senate, and the White House, we all know Joe Biden will win again. Republicans deserve better. America deserves better. It's common sense. Will Hurd is the latest of several Republicans who've joined the 2024 race lately, challenging former President Trump, the frontrunner, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, former Vice President Mike Pence, ex-New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota. Sometimes uh, we've been called the uh, accidental governor and accidental first lady because I spent my entire career in the private sector until 2016. That is when Governor Burgum won his first ever political contest. Uh, we were a long shot. The poll said 69-10. I said to Catherine, I said, hey, look, you don't have to worry about being first lady because we don't have a chance of winning. Get it out of my systems. Uh, and of course, we were running because we thought that North Dakota needed a business leader for a changing economy. 
And we uh, we jumped into the race and six months later, we won the Republican primary 60-40. And then we went on to win in the fall uh, by almost 80-20, got reelected in 2020 by over 40 points, uh, largest margin of any of the 11 governor's races that year. And But here we are, but bringing a private sector mindset to everything we do in government and know that uh, when we're looking at the presidency, we know that how to succeed in the private sector, know how to how to run government efficiently, know that we can take costs out, know that if we do it right, we can improve the life of every American. And the Biden administration is going 100, you know, 180 degrees in the wrong direction. We need a complete U-turn on economy, energy and national security if we're going to win the Cold War that we're in with China and if we're going to continue to be the dominant, most dynamic economic power in the world, which is what the, what the United States has has been for over a century and needs to continue to be if we're going to accomplish what we need and help every American to realize their fullest potential. So obviously you reference being a long shot in North Dakota in 2016. Here we are in 2023. You're not as well-known, certainly, as some of the other candidates in this race. Some people are like, who's that? How do you do it on a national level? How do you build up your profile so quickly? Well, I think the beauty of the American system is that we have, presidential races have always taken people that, who were they two years ago, and then you find out they're president. So this is not abnormal for the United States. It's a great aspect of democracy. And, you know, we're hitting the ground hard in Iowa and New Hampshire, we're up on the air on television in those two states. We're getting known in those states. And then, of course, because of the businesses that I built, there are people that know us, like us, and are willing to get up and go volunteer and work for us in all 50 states already. And, of course, uh, people in North Dakota are very excited. Uh, we a, a lot of folks there are excited to see uh, someone with common sense, small-town values, somebody who grew up. Every job I had until uh, I was in my mid-20s involved taking a shower at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day, because, you know, working on the farm, the ranch, the grain elevator, working as a chimney sweep. I understand what working Americans are going through right now and what they're facing with the inflation from Biden, the regulation from the Biden administration, the high gas prices. And we're excited to get out and tell the uh, success story of North Dakota, where this last session, we passed 51 out of 52 red tape reduction bills, passed the largest tax cut in the history of the state. And we're on a, we have the highest workforce participation of any state in the nation. We got among the lowest unemployment. We've got tens of billions of capital that are trying to come to North Dakota for innovation around our energy sector, which is uh, we're one of the largest energy states in the nation. Now, obviously, you have a lot of oil that you deal with in North Dakota. There's been a big push that continues on the left to go for clean energy, to get away from oil, get away from fossil fuels as the future goes to wind or solar or whatever we can do, especially electric vehicles. Well, Dave, we're the only state that's set a goal of being carbon neutral by 2030. You might go, how is that possible in a state that's a huge producer of baseload electricity and a huge producer of, of oil and gas? Well, we do it through innovation. We're, we'll reach that goal without any new mandates and any new regulations. We're going to reach it by actually cutting regulation and cutting red tape. Uh, we can decarbonize liquid fuels uh, faster than than we can the, the the Biden administration again 180 degrees wrong subsidizing EVs subsidizing 500,000 charging stations with no plan on how to build the transmission to be able to get the electricity a produced and b to those charging stations 
And so, you know, the global instability right now is being caused by the energy policy of the Biden administration and the policies that they're moving on. We just would be training OPEC for Sinopec. Oh, we're going to get all of our, you know, EV batteries from China. And then China is going around to places like in Africa and the Congo and tearing up those entire countries to get the rare earth minerals to make batteries, which then they sell to Americans so people can, you know, somehow, I mean, what, export our environmental, you know, guilt. You know, it doesn't make any sense. If you cared about the environment, you would want to have every ounce of energy produced in the United States because we produce it cleaner, safer, smarter than anywhere else in the world. The Biden energy policy is going to make us energy poor, economically poor. It's empowering dictators around the world. The largest importer of oil and gas in the world is China. And I don't, we don't know. I've read one word that Secretary Blinken during his trip even brought up energy with China. Obviously, governors who enter the presidential race are asked this all the time. I mean, you're, you you run North Dakota. What's your foreign policy experience, right? Isn't that something you're going to hear a lot? Well, of course it is. But one of the things when you're, A, running a state where we've got two of the largest air bases in America, we've got two of the three legs of the strategic nuclear triad here with a missile base and in both a, and a bomber base in North Dakota. And national security includes border security. And we've been one of the states that's been sending troops down to the border regularly, just had passed an executive order this uh, last week, uh, got approval through our emergency commission. We've got more, more national guardsmen that are going down there to help protect the border in Texas in August. We have more coming in October. So when you're a governor that's an energy state and an agriculture state, and we feed and fuel the world, what happens in world markets affects every single citizen in North Dakota. It affects our energy producers. It affects our ag producers. And then as someone who's been involved in running global businesses, I had people working for me in 120 countries. I've worked with people around the world. I understand how the world economy works. This economy is changing. Technology is changing. Every job, every company, and every industry. There's never been anybody with a software tech background who's ever run for president. I think it's about time that we have that because where the world is heading, we need someone who understands how to be effective in government and how to bring leadership from the business sector because uh, we only win in the world. We win in the world by actually shrinking the federal government, returning power to the states, and letting our private sector economy be the thing that drives world leadership for us. All right, so you have two months before the first presidential debate in August on Fox News in Milwaukee. Now, they have set a criteria. You have to have 1% in three national polls or two national polls and in one of the states that is an early contest state. And you have to have 40,000 unique donors to your campaign. Do you think you're going to get to that threshold? Yeah, absolutely we will. That's not, that's not going to be an issue, Dave. Uh, if people want to learn more about what we're doing, DougBurgham.com, join us. One of the ways we get to 40,000 donors is people that are listening to a great show like this, go to DougBurgham.com and click on the donate button and, you know, give a buck and say, hey, we've never seen a chimney sweep on a, on the stage before. We'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to be on the stage potentially with maybe former President Trump, who may or may not debate. He, he says he might not. So how do you defeat Donald Trump? What, what, what will be your plan? I mean, he has a huge lead in the polls and he has Ron DeSantis on his heels and, of course, you and the others behind them. Our focus is talking to the citizens about the issues that matter to them the most, which, again, inflation, interest rates, taxes, 
spending. That matters to every small business owner. It matters to every farmer. It matters to everybody that we meet on the campaign trail. And of course, they're all worried about, you know, energy prices and energy policies and what that means for them if they're a farmer, if they're a trucker, if they're any kind of business. And of course, with the open border, 110,000 overdose deaths in 2022 under the Biden administration with fentanyl pouring over the southern border, you know, they're very concerned that the president, which has a set of narrow responsibilities that he's supposed to execute, one of those is actually securing the border, just completely failing on doing that. I mean, take a look at North Dakota. I've been on the ticket in 16 and 20 with President Trump, and those voters that are voted for President Trump have voted for me, uh, and, and we've had great success uh, in North Dakota, talking to people uh, in our elections here. And so we're you know, very familiar with Trump voters and they've been among some of the biggest supporters of our campaigns. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't be winning the, with these races by the largest margins okay. in the country. So, so why should voters choose Doug Burgum and not reelect Donald Trump? Of those voters who voted for Trump twice, why you this time? I have a lot of confidence in the voters in America and we're gonna just keep introducing ourselves to them, taking our case to them and we feel very positive that when when we get to that point next February that people are going to say, hey, this is absolutely someone that we have confidence in their ability to lead, uh, their ability to attract talent, their ability to you know paint a vision and inspire people going forward is what I've done my whole life. And so we're looking forward to that opportunity. All right. Let's say you do rise in the polls and you're right up there with former President Trump and he starts, you know, attacking you and maybe even has a nickname. What will you do? Well, I, I think we'll just have to, you know, you're, this is a hypothetical, sure. uh, Dave. I mean, understood. A, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I, I, I've never, as governor, ever speculated on hypotheticals. And in the past, I've had a great relationship with President Trump. And, and so uh, we're just going to continue to move forward. Uh, again, you know, taking our case uh, about the economy, energy, and national security to the voters. And we know, we, we believe strongly that we're the best alternative to beat President Biden in 2024. Again? Governor, where can they find your campaign? Uh, DougBurgum.com. And we'd, we'd love, uh, if people want to learn more, go to DougBurgum.com. If you want to see us on the debate stage, uh, DougBurgum.com. Click on the donate button and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you down the road. But Dave, uh, great being on the show with you today. Thank you. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, a Republican candidate for the 2024 GOP nomination. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. The owner of a New Jersey gym is using his own healthcare experience as the inspiration for an inclusive place to work out. Kenneth Hobson says he wanted body sculptors to be different. The idea for a gym that welcomes anyone with health issues came to him during his own battle with cancer. More than a dozen years ago, Kenneth says he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And after his recovery, Kenneth took his doctor's orders to work out, to heart. He says at first he felt timid, and that feeling led him to create a gym where others felt comfortable working out, especially those who are recovering from health issues. Kenneth stresses that it's not just for the body, but the mind and soul as well. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. I've been saving the world for a while now on this podcast, and I'm ready to take it to the next level. Starting on June 26th, you can listen to me, Kennedy, five days a week right here. Listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. 
It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So NCAA swimming star Riley Gaines testified on Capitol Hill about transgender athletes competing in women's sports. Now, to be clear, I'd be fine with biological men competing against biological women if I could bet money on it. Might help get the bookie off my back. But unfortunately, you can't bet this stuff in Vegas because oddsmakers know men have a huge physical advantage. For instance, the male winner of the New York City Marathon is 15 minutes faster than the female winner. And that's in New York, where women are running extra fast because they're usually being chased by hobbits and criminals. Heck, the U.S. women's soccer team won a gold medal at the Olympics, but they lost a scrimmage to a group of 15-year-old high school boys. Even Serena Williams, the best female tennis player of all time, once lost to the 203rd-ranked male player in the world. But one college after another has admitted men into women's sports with no regard for the fairness of competition or the fairness to women who might not want to get undressed in front of biological men. Riley Gaines tearfully told Congress she and her female teammates were forced to change in the same space as transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, who exposed his male genitalia despite the fact that the women never gave consent. Yo, that's not cool. If women wanted to see some random guy's junk, they'd ride the New York City subway. I wish I was kidding, but I see the same flasher on the train at least twice a week. He was thinking about retiring, but he decided to stick it out for another year. Good night, everybody. Jokes aside, female swimmers complained about changing with men, but the University of Pennsylvania didn't do anything for fear of being labeled transphobic and sparking protests across campus. It's sad, but it's true. We're living in an era where leaders are more concerned with upsetting the outrage crowd than they are about being right which is why there's never been a bigger gap between what people believe and what they're willing to say in public. And that gap exists because left-wing social justice activists try to get their way by saying anyone who doesn't agree with them is a hate-filled transphobe who wants to erase their community. It's not the most reasonable take in the world, and it's not accurate either. The truth is, banning men from women's sports isn't anti-trans, it's pro-women. Nobody's saying trans people should be denied access. They're saying trans people should compete against their natural biology where the playing field is level. If you're a biological man, you can dress like a woman, but you should still run against men because they're way faster. Think about it. Will Thomas was the 462nd ranked male swimmer in the country until he began identifying as a she and shot all the way up to number one in the rankings. There's no way you can tell me that men don't have an advantage if the 462nd ranked male is better than the number one ranked female. And there's no way you can tell me that it's fair to make female athletes lose out on scholarships and championships by forcing them to compete against men. Which is why I applaud courageous women like Riley Gaines who are speaking out despite the vicious blowback on the left. She deserves a gold medal for saying what we all know to be true. Female athletes should eat lots of fruits and vegetables, but they shouldn't have any nuts. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.